The text today is Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now I know a lot of times from this pulpit we come to a section, we deal with that one section, a few verses or a verse or a couple of words. But to set this book in context, and I hope, was it in the devotional to read Colossians? I hope that you all did. Because I want to bring forth the theme of Colossians. Now, just four verses. So let's go back to chapter 1 and see who Paul is speaking to. Paul, first of all, he's speaking to the saints. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. To the saints. Paul then goes on to thank God for these believers. He says that he's praying for them. He's giving thanks to God for them. He's praying always for them. Since he heard of their faith and of their love. And that not only of their faith and their love, but that faith and love was producing fruit, we see in verse 6, which has come to you as it has in also all the world and is bringing forth fruit. Paul is praying always for them. He's thanking God for them. Are you thanking God for the saints? Are you praying for the saints? Are you praying that the saints would be fruitful, not only here, but throughout the world. We are to be praying for the saints of God. We see Paul's burden and love for these saints in verses 9 through 14. Let's look a little closer. Verses 9 through 14. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. We need more brothers and sisters like this. Having ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled, filled to overflowing with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So that, for this reason, There is a purpose clause there so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. So much doctrine just in those few verses. Fully pleasing Him, notice once again, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in knowledge of God. Paul wants these believers to become more intimate with God, to understand His will, to understand who it is that we have been united to. Verse 11, strengthen with all might, all might according to His glorious power. Not your, I'm going to try a little harder. His glorious power. Paul goes on to say, For all patience, all patience, and long-suffering with joy. I believe right there you have fruit of the Spirit. Joy, patience, long-suffering. 
once again giving thanks to the Father who maybe is going to qualify us someday. There's a chance we could be qualified someday. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. An action completed in the past. He has qualified us. Not only has He qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints, verse 13, He has delivered us. Past tense, once again, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You were dead in your sins. He made you alive. You were in this kingdom. He took you out of this kingdom and transferred you into this kingdom. You lived and dwelled in the kingdom of darkness, of sin, of death, of hell, of Satan. And he has transferred you. He took you from here, made you alive, and transferred you into the kingdom of his glorious son. He's brought you into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Delivered us from the power of darkness. He has delivered you. You need not live in sin any longer if you be a child of God. It is not to dominate your life. Yes, you will slip and slide, but it is not to dominate your life. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. The power of darkness. Darkness ain't necessarily Halloween with a little costume on. The power of darkness. There's a power there. A wickedness there. That's why you could never, apart from the Lord, change your life. You were dead in sin and you were enslaved to the power of darkness. And it took the sovereign grace of Almighty God to take you from one kingdom and to have put you in this other kingdom. Verse 14. In whom we have Redemption through His blood. Whose blood? The blood of the Son. In whom we have redemption. He has delivered us. He has transferred us. We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins. Paul's praying for growth in the believers' lives. And what does he do? What does he do to bring forth this fruit? Once again, he tells you the indicatives. These things are true of you. Now start acting that way. This is who you are now. You were this way. Now this is a new life. You're in a different kingdom. You're no longer in that kingdom. Why do you keep going back there? He's delivered you already, taking you from one kingdom into the next kingdom. And then, Paul's going to go on in verses 15 through 29, exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. The supremacy of Christ in verses 15 through 29. Look at the way chapter 1 ends. The last three verses. Very important to know the second half of chapter 1. Who Christ is. We'll get back to that later. But I'm setting up what Paul's dealing with in this book. Look at 26 through 29. We'll start at 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery 
which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. There's a mystery. But it is a specific mystery and has been revealed to the saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Which is Christ in you. That's the mystery. Christ in you. Not all these other mysteries. Christ in you. Him we preach. That's why Paul said, all I want to know is Christ and Him crucified. I come and see my brethren here every year and all I want to know is Christ and Christ crucified. I come to lift up Jesus Christ. Because you're going to see what the problem is in this book. And this book, it deals with some side issues, but there's one main thing that it deals with. Christ in you. All right. Now to the problem. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So Paul's talking to saints, talking to people that have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His glorious Son. He's explained who Christ is, that all things are created by Him and for Him. And he's saying, this is absolutely beautiful, brethren. Come on, let's go home. But we can't. Can I do that? Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. For I want you to know what a great conflict, a great conflict for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Encouraged, love, attaining to all the riches and the full insurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Once again, brothers and sisters, let's go home. Let's go home. Let's not keep a whole book of the Bible in context. That's how you always get yourself in trouble. Take a couple verses, rip them out of context, have no understanding of what the book is about. In verse 1 he said, there's a great conflict. I want you to know there's a great conflict. That word conflict was used for the Greek games where the warriors would come and they would fight. Great conflict. The place of assembly for contests. The place of assembly for struggle. The battle. The arena. Especially after, here's a plug from last night, Joe. After celebrating the 20th anniversary last night. Everybody's happy, lovely, it's all beautiful. People that haven't seen each other for 20 years, shaking hands, embracing, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Paul says, but I want you to know, there is a great conflict going on. He tells us in verse 4, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. King James, beguile you. New King James, deceive you. New American Standard, delude you. There is always an attack on the church. Always an attack 
on the church. And we will see the Colossians are being attacked by the Gnostics, the Judaizers, and the mystics or ascetics. There's always a conflict. And how do you fight in this war? How do you fight in this battle? Obviously, if you're sitting here, you know that you battle against false doctrine faced with the truth. With the truth. And the first thing you got to realize is, you know what? Here's a church, Colossians. I don't think anybody's preaching over in Colossians today. Or Laodicea. Or if it is, it's certainly not this church spoken of in Colossians. And Laodicea was getting this letter after Colossians. Those churches are null and void. I ain't saying there's not a couple of believers there, but they're certainly not as powerful as they were when this letter was written to them. Look at verse 8. Paul commands us in verse 8. So first, there's a great conflict. Verse 4, I don't want anybody to deceive you. In verse 8, beware. Beware. If you see a sign, beware of an attack dog, and you're disregarded, well, if you get mauled by that dog, shame on you. You were warned. Paul is warning every believer that there has ever been since he wrote this book. You pick this book up, and if you don't think you can be deluded or deceived, you deceived and deluded already. He's warning these believers. And he gave you their pedigree in the beginning. They're bearing fruit. There's love, there's peace, there's joy, there's all kinds of growth. Everybody's being blessed. Paul says, beware, delusion. And notice, beware lest anyone cheat you. Anybody here like getting cheated? Go buy a car, you like getting cheated? Buy a house, get cheated? You buy something, you get cheated. And that's just, I'm talking in a monetary way. No one's going, hey, you know, rob me. He's saying, beware lest you be cheated. And being cheated spiritually is the highest form of being <laughs> cheated. Beware lest anyone cheat you, how? Through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not, not according to Christ. Strong words from the Apostle. But maybe you say, it has nothing to do with me. Keep in mind that whatever, whatever takes away or adds to Jesus Christ, beware of that. It may have quite a beautiful veneer. Look quite good. And anybody that's ever been hustled, the more beautiful the veneer is, the easier it is to get suckered in, to use an old phrase. It looks good! Does not Hasatan, the devil, come as an angel of light? Did Paul not warn us? Even if we or an angel from heaven come and preach another gospel to you, You're not one to be as Marians to check this word out. That's why I gave you that quote-unquote assignment, devotional. You read the book of Colossians for the week. And you tell me what the book is about. 
It's believers in the body of Christ being deluded, being deceived, being cheated. And we're going to see how. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2. After he warns, don't get cheated. He spoke not according to Christ with the false teaching, for in him Christ dwells how much? All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Godhead dwelling in Christ. And what does verse 27 read in chapter 1 that I had just read to you? The mystery among the Gentiles, which is, or some translations, who is what? Christ in you. Christ in you. In Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Who in the world dwells inside you? Or do you even realize that? Because if you just read that at face value, it seems almost incomprehensible. What is that saying? Christ dwells in you. And it says that all of the Godhead dwells in Christ. And He dwells in you. That's what my Bible says. If yours says something different, you have to take that up with whoever wrote it. But mine says, all the force. Let's see someplace else that's covered. Look at Romans 8. The same concept. Same teaching. And the point I'm trying to make, why in the world would you want to add anything to that? The Godhead dwelling in you bodily. What exactly is it that you need that you don't have? What you don't have is the faith to believe what you have. That's what you don't have. I didn't say you ain't got a little faith. I didn't say you ain't got saving faith. I'm saying to dwell in the fullness of Christ, you've got to first believe that. Look at Romans 8. Verses 10 and 11. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead does what? Dwells in you. That is either true or it's not. Deity itself dwelling inside you. What is it that the world possibly has to offer you that can compare to deity dwelling inside you? And if deity dwells inside you, what kind of a believer should you be? I'll tell you what kind. The one that's being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That you would look like the one who's dwelling inside you. And Colossians is about individuals adding a bunch of other stuff to Christ. Christ is more than enough. He is the deity dwelling inside you. That's why I told you in chapter 1, hopefully you've read it from uh, 15 to uh, 23. He created all things. All things are for Him. It's all about Christ. But we get on all these rabbit holes, all these different things, as opposed to dwelling on your beloved, the fairest of 10,000. The one who all the scripture is about. Christ told the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it's all about me. All the scripture from Genesis 1, 1 to Revelation. It's all about Christ. And madmen, traditions, and the commandments of men and get on 
these systems and hobby horses and creeds and confessions and everything else and put them ahead of Christ Jesus. You are to follow Christ and Christ alone. No man, no system, no creed, no confession that does not line up with the Bible, you put that dross away. I'm not saying that all those things cannot be used in proportion to them aligning with the Scripture. Because we're going to see the commandments of men, the traditions of men. The question is, how did you receive Christ? It tells you in verses 6 and 7 in chapter 2. As you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you receive Christ? By faith. But that's, that's too simple. But it's not simple when you have to believe that all the deity dwells inside you. Then uh, it's really not that simple. So walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. As you have been taught. As you have been taught. Now walk in Him. Rooted and grounded. Does any kind of image come to your mind? I've been living in Florida. I come back to New Jersey and all I see is trees all over the place, especially up here in the north. Rooted and grounded in what? The traditions of men, the commandments of men are rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. Like the oak tree that goes down deep and deeper and deeper and deeper, rooted and grounded. As you have been taught. This has been taught. It was 20 year anniversary yesterday. 20 years it was to prioritize the preaching of the Word of God. The church gets in trouble when you start following all these other things. And they could be good in and of themselves. We'll get into that a little bit more. Verses 13 through 15 of chapter 2. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made a life together with him. Now you say you have faith, having forgiven you how many trespasses? Now do you have the faith to believe that? Do you really believe that? Or is it just those that I've confessed, those I've repented of? Why do you really believe that he has forgiven you all of your trespasses? Verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it. Better make sure what that it is. Having taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And like I said, I I hope that you all studied this word. Paul is once again reminding believers what they were, dead in sins and trespasses before conversion. He makes them alive. God made you alive, and what did he do? He forgave you all of your sins. That's what that scripture means. Past, present, and future sins. And don't be fleshly minded or carnally minded and say, well, then what, that doesn't, that mean I can just go and sin up a storm? No, it doesn't mean that. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Or some of your translations have handwriting of ordinances. 
That's the word for dogma, for doctrine, for decrees, for the requirements of the law of Moses. Having nailed it to the cross. What is it? I believe, you may not believe it, you research it, and you come to your own convictions before God Almighty. I'm not going to tell you that you believe what Bill Post tells you. But my understanding of the scripture, what I've studied, I believe it, what it's referring to there, is the law of Moses. Like I said, everyone has to come to their own conviction. You be a Berean, you're, I'm not here to bind anybody's conscience. I'm just telling you my understanding of the text, the it, that is the it. The law of Moses. Having nailed it. Do you, can you feel the impact of that? Can, can you enjoy that? Can you rejoice in that? Or does your mind go to all these other systems and creeds and confessions? Does your mind run? But Bill, what about? Like I said, I love you too much to just ignore this text. And soft soap you and tell you some, I've got to behave myself. Tell you some kind of false doctrine. That text in my mind says that the law of Moses was nailed to the cross. The certificate of debt was nailed to the cross. First of all, if he didn't forgive you of all your sins, what is he doing? Starting up another certificate? Does he got more paperwork on you? And how are you going to get forgiveness for that new paperwork? For the sins you haven't confessed, the sin that you're probably sinning right now, Get mad at me because I'm bringing forth some truth to you. So if if it's not all, if it's not the whole enchilada, if it's not the certificate of death is not everything, then he has to start up a new certificate. And what's going to be on that certificate? What's going to be on that certificate? Let's look at some things, if God started a new certificate, this is what the Judaizers, the Lord teachers, would want to be on that certificate. So first of all, you've got to come up with a new certificate. And then what are we going to put on it? And many would say today, the law of Moses, you broke the commandments. Or you broke ten commandments. Or maybe nine commandments. So you need a new certificate. And which, what are we going to write on that? 613, 10, or 9? How many do you want to write on that? Verse 16. So then. So then. Or some of your translations say, therefore. Therefore. Let no one judge you. That's why I said, I'm not up here to judge you, to bind your conscience. I'm just simply opening the scripture up to you. Told you to read it for the week. You tell me, or you tell yourself, you tell your neighbor, you tell whoever you want to tell. But I'm not going to tell you that this is what you've got to believe. Let no one judge you in food. I'm going to tell you what to eat. And drink, I'm not going to tell you what to drink. Or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or, I know this is going to ruffle some feathers, but what does that word say there? Or Sabbaths. And you can look that up in the Strong Quarters, and it says that, you know, he's talking about the fourth commandment there. He's talking about the fourth commandment. So even if you say, no, I don't believe we're under the 613, 
when did it turn? Well, if you're under the ten, you can't say, I'm under the nine. We're going to change this uh, Sabbath day into the Lord's day. Not that there's not a place for the Lord's day. Don't say that I'm saying something that I'm not saying. I'm here on quote-unquote the Lord's day. Let no one judge you. If you want to be deluded, you want to be deceived, go to it. That's between you, the person deceiving you, and the Lord. But I'm just opening the text up saying, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Notice, please, if you get anything, get verse 17. I know our brother was in Hebrews. And you probably know the other cross-references, Joseph. See, I said that I could say that. He's younger than me. He, if he was old, if I, he was older, then it'd be Joey. And don't you all do that. It's Joseph. Give them all honor, the honors to. All right. Verse 17. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance, the reality is Christ. All of the scripture. From the skin getting put on Adam and Eve, to the serpent's head that would be crushed, to the lavers, to the sacrifices, to the altar, to the temple, everything. Christ told the disciples on the road to make, it's all about me. And just like the Judaizers did in the first century, the Judaizers today still do the same thing. And you have to come to your knees before God and ask Him, are you a Judaizer? Is Christ not enough for you? It's always Christ and and this thing. Whatever the thing is. And I mentioned a couple of the things. Systems, covenants, creeds, Calvinists, Arminianists, Presbyterians, Reformed Baptists, Independence, Baptist, Baptist on the corner, uh, Pentecost, whatever it is. I want to know about Christ. I love Christ. I love Christ more than my wife, more than my daughter, more than my grandchildren. It's about Christ. Somebody one time called me a biblicist and thought it would hurt me. Because I didn't follow a system. I simply said, what does the Bible say? Don't tell me what that guy said, that guy said, that creed said, that confession said. Is it in line with what the Bible says? It talks over and over about commandments of men, traditions of men. What do you think they're talking about here? They're not talking about Buddhism, Shintoism, or any other kind of ism except maybe Judaism. It's always a return to the old covenant. That's why there's such a stress on the new covenant. Where? In the new covenant. You just had a, what was it, a year in Hebrews, if not more or less? You're in the new covenant. Christ has taken the law. He's nailed it to the cross. You are under the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you didn't learn anything today, maybe find out what the law of Christ is. Don't ask me. You look it up. You research it. You tell me. As I said, I love you too much. to. I'm struggling with this for months, this text. Use where I cut my teeth. I love you all when you all white-haired people. Like me now. See, many years come to faith. Many years grow in faith. And I'm telling you, if you get sidelined in all this other stuff, you're never going to become Christ-like. He's telling you. He's warning you. Let no one judge you. Impose these things upon you. The legalists wanted to put the people back under the law of Moses. You want to see where I get that from? 
Anybody want to shout the text out to me? Brother Matt, you want to shout out Acts 15? Acts 15, what does it say in verses 1, 5, 10, and 11? I'll give you a moment to get there and have a sip of water. Like I said, if you want to ignore it, that's between you and the Lord. I can't. Acts 15. So, there's a council at Jerusalem. All the apostles are there, the elders. They're coming from all around to gather together for a specific issue. Verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Could it be any clearer what the issue is? Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. And the Scripture says if you have broken one part of the law, you've broken the whole law. You cannot subscribe to one part of the law. You have to subscribe to the whole thing. So go down to verse 5. So we know that these men come down. you got to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. Maybe you want to get cute with the Scripture and say, well, that's just the number of circumcisions. Okay. Let's look at verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them. Ah, here's another. And. See, it's always and. Always. And this creed, and this confession, and this denomination, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. You fill in your little blank. And to keep the law of Moses. Now, if you, if you think that they're talking about nine laws or ten laws there, you're out of your mind. They're dealing with at least 613 of God's laws and another 6,000 of their own. But without a doubt, it's the 613. Look at verses 10 and 11. Same chapter. Now, therefore, and this was something when I was challenged by this text years ago. Uh, that's why I'm saying to you, this is between you all and the Lord. All right? Verse 10. Now, therefore, brothers and sisters, especially teachers, you better take this to heart. Now, therefore, why do you test God? I can't just read a text like that and go, but, you know, how does that fit in with my friends, my family, my tradition? My, how? Why would you test God? Does that not put the fear of God in you? Now, therefore, why do you test God? How? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. These guys were raised in Judaism. You're talking about the elders. You're talking about apostles. Why are you putting this yoke on other people? That's why I said, I'm not here to bind your conscience. I'm here to challenge you. You read the Bible for yourself. And you get before Almighty God and tell Him what you believe. Don't tell me what you believe. I'm telling you what I believe. You might not agree with me, but I'm telling you what I believe. Verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. The grace of God saves you. And all those other things, if you have Christ in you, the deity inside you, you don't need a laundry list of laws to walk through. Christ, you could find a law all day long in the New Testament. What does it say? Everybody talks about Acts 2. Right? 
Adhering to what? The apostles' doctrine. The new covenant is full of what we have to do. But we do that because of who we are. That makes all the difference in the world. My wife serves me because she loves me. She's not trying to get me to love me or, or to keep me loving her. So it is with the Lord. When you understand the deity dwells inside you, that he died for you, transferred you from this kingdom, put you into that kingdom, do I got to come with a laundry list to you? Don't taste this. Don't touch that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do the other thing. Is the Holy Spirit, is he not up to that job? Huh? You're going to flick on that TV and say, hey, oh, okay, that's fine. I got to tell you, huh? watch out for that blue screen. You know, them images are coming. You need me to tell you that after 20, 30, 40 years as a Christian? Holy Spirit's not going to tell you that. You're going to go out and fornicate. You're going to go out where it says later on in Colossians, put off all those things now. Put on the new man. Like I said, you want law? Go to the second half after three and four of Colossians. It's all kind of law there. Don't do this. Put on this, put off that. Put on this, put off that. After you become a Christian, that's what it is. The Holy Spirit is continually telling you. You want loving? Now you be loving. You got no joy? I want you to have joy. You have no peace? I want you to have peace. You have no patience? I want you to be patient. There's no goodness? I want you to be good. Like I said, the lawgiver lives inside you. You don't need Moses for Benu. He's not greater than Christ. You don't need Moses the rabbi. You got Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. The very ones that gave Moses the law. But the law that they were given was to drive the people to Christ. The Lord came in in Galatians. What's the key word in there? Anybody know that? Until. Until the seed should come. I totally lost track of time. Can anybody tell me how far I'm into this? Huh? All right. I don't want to. Huh? Okay. That's on to the All right. I I just like went blank as far as time. So anyway, we saw that that was a shadow, an illustration, point ahead to. We have the substance, the reality now. We have the noonday sun. Why go back to the candle of the law? That's what the law of Moses compared to Christ is like. Like a candle. It was pointing to Christ. You have the noonday sun blazing in all its glory. Which is, which is more powerful? You light a candle here, you walk outside, or you walk outside if it was a sunny day and look at the sun. You can't look at the sun for ten seconds, it'll blind you. So it is, if you're looking to the law, if you're looking to systems, if you're looking to this gimmick, that gimmick, and the other thing. Oh, Lord, I prayed this much. I, I, I gave this much. I read this much. I witnessed this much. And those are good things in and of themselves. Don't sit, think I'm saying something that I'm not saying. What I am saying is if you see Christ in all of His glory, you will do all those things. You're not reading the Bible as, as like the, my wife saying, I don't care what my husband got to say to me. You're not praying to the Father. It's her like, I ain't talking to this dude. If you see Christ, you'll love to pray. If you see Christ in His glory, you want to read the Word of God. If you see who Christ is, you witness to people. You don't need do this, do this, don't do that, do this thing, don't do that thing, a little of this thing, a little of that thing. You put, that's called, one old preacher called the recipe preacher. My brother, uh, we talk about spices, but it's recipe preaching. Do this, do that, do this. Read four verse, uh, four chapters today. Uh, four chapters today, spend 14 minutes in prayer, and uh, uh, witness to one person, and you'll be a good Christian. You can do all of those things and be absolutely ice cold. 
You can literally be of the frozen chosen. And once again, if you love Christ, you will do all those things. They will come, I don't want to say naturally, they'll come supernaturally because that's who you are. The fruit of the Spirit will be in your life. If you love, if you love, you're going to read, you're going to pray, you're going to witness, you're going to give, you're going to fellowship with the saints. I ain't got to browbeat you over the head. You got it, you got it, you got it. If you do this, if you do that, and, you do... and then you come. All right. Last section of chapter 2, as I just mentioned. Go back to Colossians 2. So once again, he's ending the chapter. Therefore, starting at verse 20, 220. Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why? As though living in the world. Are you living in this world? Or are you setting your mind on things above where Christ is? All these things are of the world. Why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations, do not touch, do not handle, do not taste, which all concern things which perish with the using. According what? To the commandments and doctrines of men. I mean, who do you think he's talking about here? If I looked at verses from the Gospels and Christ used those words, you'd say, you know, I think he's talking to the religious people. But somehow we think, you know, that, that text has got nothing to do with Christians. It's got everything to do with Christians. The commandments and the doctrines of men. How many things do you believe you believe in because they're part of a system that you believe in? And everything associated with that system, you have to fit into that system, even if you must compromise the word of Almighty God. Now tell me that's not true. Whatever system you say you abide by, you've got to play games with the Scripture when challenged with different things. I gotta make it fit into my system. If I don't, then my system goes out the window. Then that's where it should go. If you get gold from that system or that creed or that confession or that denomination, then enjoy the gold. And get the dross out. We have to follow the scripture at the end of the day. No man, no denomination, no group, no system, no nothing. We are to follow Christ. For as we will see, Christ is all. Lastly, let's look at our text. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then, if, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. It is not the rules of Gnostics and legalists and ascetics. We died with Christ. And we've been raised with Christ. We are dead to sin. And we're raised to newness of life. Notice, in those four verses, Christ is mentioned four times. Christ is mentioned four times. Look it down at verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but some translations have but now. But now Christ is what? Oh. Oh. I don't want to add anything to Christ. Christ is enough for me. Christ is all 
and in all. And I showed you from numerous texts, all of the Godhead dwelled in Christ bodily. And I took you to the text that says, and He is in us. That's what the Scripture says. If you want to explain it away, I'm going to keep on telling you, you take that up with the Lord. I'm just telling you why I believe what I believe, what I see in the text. Your life is hidden with Christ. And Christ is in you. All the fullness of Christ. Christ who is our life. It's not Christ and is my life. Christ is my life. We're to set our minds on Christ. Setting your heart on Christ. Setting your will on Christ. Your emotions on Christ. You're assured in Christ. You have peace in Christ. Joy in Christ. Rejoicing in Christ. With Christ you have all things. And without Him you have nothing. If you're here today and you're an unbeliever, if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. You have nothing but the wages of sin. Which is death. There's no heaven, there's no Christ, there's no forgiveness of sin, there's no canceling out the certificate of death. You are guilty as charged. You're just awaiting the judgment seat where you will be condemned. But Christ, this Christ that I speak of says, come on to me. Notice, come on to me. Not me and these other things. Come on to me. You that are weighed down, heavy laden, burdened, and I, I, Christ Himself, nothing else, and I what? Give you rest. And to know that rest, to have lived with, for decades, with your conscience telling you, guilty as charged. Shame upon you for what you did. You remember what you did when you were 10 years old, 12 years old? You remember those sexual sins of 13, 14, 15 years old? You remember those thoughts you had about those people? The hatred and the bitterness and the shame and the guilt that you felt from that law that was convicting you. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And Christ says, come on to me. You know what? And I came out to Christ. And He forgave me all of my sins. And when I realized that He forgave me all of my sins, and day by day I started to believe that to be true, then I walked with Him in newness of life more and more. It wasn't more law, more law, more law. That's what got me in trouble in the first place. I couldn't keep the law. And I ran, like Adam and Eve ran. The law makes you run. Grace says, come here. Come here. Okay? One last thing, I'll pose a question. Something for you to wrestle with. If you notice in verse 2, I'm sorry, chapter 2 of verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and who? Those in Laodicea. I just proposed something to you. Everybody's familiar with the church at Laodicea, right? Particularly verse 20. And what's it say? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens up, I come up and fellowship with them. Now everybody knows I always thought that that, believe, that that is a church that's believers. That's not unbelievers. The modern day evangelist uses that for unbelievers. I would just, it's a thesis. You do what you want with it. You don't hear about the Colossians anymore. You don't hear about the Laodiceans anymore except in a negative way. Right? And Paul told these believers, beware, 
Don't be deluded. Don't be deceived. And my thesis is this. Did they not heed those words? It's a possibility. I can't prove it. But I certainly know that we're not speaking well of the Laodiceans today. And they were warned ahead of time. And you've been warned. You've been warned in love. I told you this because I love you. I could have I could have dealt with a million other texts. But this has been my burden for the last couple of years. And it gets me in a lot of trouble. It stirs up hatred. But I that's why I show you that text in the Acts. Would you test God? I don't want to test God. Even if everybody hates me, I gotta just show you what I believe the scripture is saying. And you research it with God Almighty. Okay.